that, but that's how I interpreted the longer text into a short interpretation. Um, but um, I want you guys to know that every person that comes up here and shares, we are so <clears throat> blessed to have people who can actually rightly divide the word. Um, I was talking with somebody yesterday and uh, out in Modesto, and if you don't know this, we definitely have a heart to plant a church in Modesto at some point. Those are my old stomping grounds. That's where I grew up. And I know a lot of people from there. And so I just, I feel the call to go back there within the next, you know, short period of time, two, three, four years. Um, but I was talking to him and, and he was sharing how like a lot of the churches are charismatic. A lot of the churches are Pentecostal or, or Assembly of God or something along those lines. So there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of flags and a lot of falling over and different things like that in that area. And I know that to be true because that's where I'm from. But there's a movement in the reform doctrine where people are becoming more conservative in their faith and they don't know how to regulate the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not something you can regulate. Amen. Right. 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 So so you have this you have this extreme like emotionalism, this this kind of like what we would call charismatic Christianity. And then you have this extreme like you should not go on any emotions at all. There should be no emotions <laughs> while they're explaining it with emotion how you should have no emotion. But. But they do. They go to the other extreme, and, and then you have one that's really emotional, another that isn't. And the thing about Reformed is that they're extremely solid in teaching. But in some of these charismatic circles, the Lord is actually moving miraculously through them. And so, so what we have come to is that we're not you know, leaning to any side, nor are we even trying in our own effort to be balanced. Because I think that's where you end up doing either or or creating another way. It's about being pure. It's about having a pure heart before God, knowing that he, Job said, you can do anything and no one can stop you. Praise God. <clears throat> he could do anything and no one can stop him, right? But also on the other side, we don't want to be so charismatic in a sense or so emotional that we're not listening to the truth. We don't want to be so charismatic and loose that now everybody's just speaking in tongues and then it becomes just a signs and wonders church versus it being a sound doctrine church. So we need truth and we need the spirit and we need to believe God for everything. But at the same time, we can't be loose. And at the same time, we can't be strict. And there has to be this healthy tension. And I believe with all of my heart, we have it. I really do. I believe that in the four years, we've probably had a tongue spoken in the church a handful of times. There was never, I think only one time there was an interpreter. And on the other times there weren't. There were self-edification in the middle of a worship service. But it was never to a point where it, it scares people off or it's weird. But at the same time, it stretches those like Dale who have come from places that didn't believe in that. And now they see, wait, there's God, there's Christ in these people. They're not being careless. And I really believe God has knitted together a body of believers where if somebody does start going extreme, there'll be correction. And if somebody gets too religious, there'll be correction. And God has balanced us out all his own because we really have the Holy Spirit. Amen. You cannot regulate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regulates you. You do not control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit controls you. Amen. So... I do speak in tongues. I've been speaking in tongues since I was 17 years old, but you won't really know. I don't use it loosely, and it's definitely not something that I want to do without God's presence truly moving me to do it. Dale does not speak in tongues, but this is the beauty of fellowship. He doesn't have to, and I don't have to, but we can come together in Christ and the work of God go forward, and I believe God is going to use our brother this morning as he's given him a gift to teach. Amen? So, Dale, come up here after that long excerpt yes, i'm a preacher bro i can't help it okay stop stop judging me with your eyes all right <laughs> put your hands towards our brother father we come before you and we know lord that you've given him a word that you want us to receive this morning for those coming in online for those sitting in this church for those that aren't here and that will watch later father will you anoint dale with the words to speak take over him use him empty him out so that he would be used for your glory. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say through this vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All righty. <clears throat> if you would, turn to Matthew 4. Yes, this is mine. Turn to Matthew 4. Uh, we're going to be studying and, and reading through the temptation of Jesus. And that takes place in two Gospels. It takes place in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. So we're primarily going to be in Matthew 
So hold your finger there, but we're going to start in Luke 4, actually. We're going to read the first verse. It's the same passage, but that's the cool thing about the Gospels, is it tells different perspectives of the same story. If we all witnessed a miraculous event and you are to interview each one of us, certain things stick out. And the more you hear, the more you interview, the broader perspective you get. It's the same thing with the Gospels. All these men witnessed or heard of the things Christ did and different things stuck out to them. Different things were important in reading through the whole thing. We get a big perspective. You see, Matthew was a Jew, and his goal was to write to the Jewish people. So you'll find a lot of prophecy, a lot of Old Testament references in the book of Matthew. Whereas Luke was a Greek, and Luke was writing to the people who are now saved after Jesus' crucifixion, the, the Gentiles who are saved. And so a lot of his writing is focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's what the Christian operates in. So Matthew 4, Luke 4, they're both telling the same story and Luke 4, verse 1, starts off this way. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Same story, but that's how Luke starts it off. And that's why I wanted to start there is because this is very important for the teaching today. Everything that Jesus went through, he was one, full of the Holy Ghost, and two, led by the Holy Ghost. There's going to be some things today where I say do or you should, and the understanding has to be, we're going to lay the foundation right now, that in your own power, you cannot. Your flesh fights against the Spirit. If you try to do things in your own fat power that's doing it in the flesh, it's, it's not going to work out. And so let's lay the foundation that everything that we say today, everything that Jesus did was through the power of the Holy Spirit as he was filled by the Holy Spirit. So go back now to Matthew 4, and we're going to read this passage here. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus told him, It is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. It's a really interesting passage. And a month ago when Tony asked me to speak, and he said, speak on spiritual warfare, this was the first thing that came to mind. The Lord said, go to this passage immediately, because here we have the kingdom, the Lord, the God of the spiritual army, and then you have the devil, the, the ruler of the demonic army, and they come face to face, and a battle ensues. And so what a better picture of spiritual warfare and what Christ does, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit to fight off the devil, to combat him. He uses the word of God all three times as it is written, it is written, it is written. But the crazy thing is that the devil also says it is written. And he quotes the passage correctly. He doesn't twist the word of God, he twists the context of the passage. And so today, and I'm going to give you the conclusion of everything now, but we're going to go into it. The conclusion is we should be studies of the word of God. We should know it well because as we heard about with the armor of, the, uh, of, the armor of God, that the word of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that's our weapon. But through the spirit, you have to know how to wield it. 2 Corinthians 2 says only the spirit gives us the mind of Christ, which is how we can even understand the scriptures. So we need to be ones who know how to wield the word 
properly. And so if you're like me, you've heard this story before. You you know about the temptations of Jesus. You probably could quote all three of them. We all know the verse, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word of God. But as I started studying this, I go, I don't know why that's written down. Like, where, where is that even? And I had to do some research to find out, oh, it's in Deuteronomy, but... Again, what's, what's the point of it? Why are any of these verses written down? And so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to do a little bit of history. We're going to go back to the Israelites, and we're going to read a lot and see a lot of their history and why Jesus specifically chose these passages to quote, why this was important for the specific temptations that the devil was giving. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, which is actually Moses retelling what happened in Exodus. So go with me to Exodus chapter 13. Now in Exodus, it's the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and going into the wilderness. And we have Moses who then does the 10, or God does the 10 plagues through Moses. The, the children of Israel are finally let go after the 10th plague, which is where he, God kills the firstborn of, of all the people in that land. We have the Passover. And it's, it's an awesome, wonderful story. And that's where we're at in, in chapter 13. Um, there's instructions for Passover. And at the end of it, it's okay. The, the Israelites are leaving Egypt. This is their steps out of the city. They've taken gold. They've taken plunder from the Egyptians and they're leaving. In verse, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22 is really important for everything that's to come. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud and led them on their way during the day in a pillar of fire to give them light at night. So they could travel by day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Very important. And then we go straight into chapter 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihaharoth between Midgol and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon facing it by the sea and, and God's just giving him directions of where to go. And Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And then we go verses five through nine is, is basically Pharaoh doing exactly that. Going, hey, they're boxed in. Let's go after them. And all the king's horses and all the king's men chased after Israel. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so we may serve them. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, will you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. And we know what happens then. The next few verses goes on. The Lord commands him to put the staff in the water and the Red Sea splits. They cross. The Egyptians taste. The sea collapses and it crushes them. But bring yourself before the miracle. Put yourself in the place of an Israelite. You are a people. You are not soldiers. You are not armored. You do not have weapons. And it tells you all the kings, his horses, his chariots, his horsemen, his army are coming after you. And you are led to where you have a rock face, a rock face, and an impassable river behind you. And there's close to a million of you. And this army is coming what are your options? You can't go left, you can't go right, you can't go back, and in front of you is an army. Your only option is die. Like, really? There, there's nothing else out, and so the people are freaking out. But the crazy thing is at the beginning of this passage, it says that the Lord led them there. 
The Lord told him, go be boxed in. Go get where you can't get out. And then God does the miraculous. He splits the sea. They go through. The Egyptians are conquered. Verse chapter, excuse me, chapter 15 is Israel's song of praise to God on the other side of the Red Sea. And it's a wonderful passage. I recommend you guys read it sometime. We're not going to do that just for sake of time today. We are going to go to the end of chapter 15 and go to verse 22. So again, this is just on the other side of, of, of the river. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed there for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why they named it Marah. Marah means bitter. It's kind of circular reasoning. It's, it's bitter, so I named it bitter because it's bitter, right? And the people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? And the word grumble there is kind of like this angry. It's not just unhappy. They're, they're angry. They're like getting in people's faces. What are we going to drink? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. He threw it in the water, and the water became drinkable. So I grew up in the mountains of Arizona. Uh, we were in the wilderness as a tiny little community in the mountains, like 50 people, and then miles and miles around nothing. And I had a lot of freedom as a teenager. I had some buddies up there. We rode quads. We would go out miles and miles away just into the wilderness. We would camp out there. So my parents were like, hey, since you're going to be doing all this, I want you to take a survival class. Just so if you ever get out there, you break a bone, you know how to splint it. You know how to, what's safe to eat, what's not. And so I took a survival class. And one of the most important things they tell you is you need to find water. And they have these, these ranges that are where it's safe and where it's unsafe. And the neat thing about the Word of God is that this whole book is inspired by God, and, and every little detail is in there for a reason. And it says they went three days without finding water. Do you know what I learned in survival class? The longest you can go safely without water is three days. After, you can be really thirsty, be uncomfortable. On the fourth day, you start to suffer detrimental effects. You can go blind, your organs start to fail, and eventually, and very quickly, it leads to death. So here are the people of Israel, again, led three days, no water. And they come to water, and finally, oh, there's water, and it's bitter. But yet God then does the miraculous. At the end of human ability, turns the water sweet, and now they have their provision. Now go to chapter 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. Again, there's a time frame. Then the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to him, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. We sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And it goes on. And he gives instructions on how manna works and there's a lot of neat pictures of Christ in manna, and, and it's a beautiful picture, but I just want to show you again this, that they were led. It says the 15th day after the month they left uh, Egypt, and we know because of Passover that it's been about 30 days. You know what else I learned in that survival class? Is after you find water, you need to find food. That's the second most important thing. And the average person, now this is where it fluctuates because you have some people who have slower metabolisms who are more fit, but on average, what's recommended is that within 30 days, you need to find a source of food or the average person begins to suffer detrimental effects. Here we are, 30 days in the wilderness, no food. The people are mad. We should have just died there. There was pots of meat and bread all we could want. And then God miraculously provides bread from the sky. It comes every day. They are told to gather exactly as much as they need all six days of the week. And then on the sixth day, they gather twice to rest for Sabbath. 
and God provides. And if you go to the last verse of, excuse me, second to last verse of chapter 16, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. See, God provided the entire time they were out there. Now, chapter 17, verse 1. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink, so the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Now, if you're like me when I read this, I go, did, did I accidentally go back a chapter? Did I flip a wrong page? Because didn't this just happen? It did. This is the second time the Israelites are complaining about water. So Moses says, why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them, why, why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you even bring us up from Egypt? Is it to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And the word grumbled there, it, it's so much more than, again, just a <clears throat> sound, you know, that you think of when you hear grumbling. If you break it down in Hebrew and go into like a deep word study, they are like getting in fist. It is in somebody's face, like ready, like, why'd you do this? I'm, I'm going to hit you. And you can see that here in verse four, Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they're going to stone me. That's how bad this is getting, is that the hero of the Israelites, the guy that led them out, is about to be killed by his own people because they're so mad about not having water. Then the Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. And that would even show right there that it got political. He had to take some of the leaders with him to even make sure that this got resolved. That's how bad this got. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did this in the sight of the, Israel, of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah. Massa means testing, Meribah means quarreling. Because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So there's the history lesson behind the passages that Jesus quotes. You have God who does miraculous things over and over and over and you can see in these chapters we read it's God leads the people to the end of their ability, the end of what's humanly possible. People complain, and God steps in miraculously. And then the people are led to the end of their ability, and the people complain, and God provides miraculously. And then the people are led to the end of their human ability, and the people complain, and God provides miraculously. It's the same story over and over and over again. And so you have Deuteronomy 8.3. So go there with me real quick. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known. So you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of the Lord. So, you might hear that phrase when you're reading the story of Jesus and the devil, and it sounds nice. But if you're missing the history of it, there's a lot that we're missing. Because remember that first verse I showed you in Exodus, Exodus 13, the last verse? It says that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, which was God's presence, led them the entire time that these people were led to be boxed in, were led to go thirsty, were led to go hungry time and time again, not to suffer, but rather to see that they needed to depend on the Lord. Right. So flip back real quick to Matthew 4. If I can flip, there we go. Three, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread 
And he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. In the passage in chapter two, it says, and he was hungry. That's an important passage there. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. Again, that's, that's like the end of what even the most fit person can really do safely. And here he is, 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. When I go like 12 hours without food, I start to get frustrated. Like, I give me something. Just yesterday, I was coming home from work, telling Chris, I'm gonna pick, I came home a little bit late, it was like four o'clock. I'm like, I'm gonna pick up a pizza um, for the girls. And, and then she calls me, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm grabbing food. She's like, aren't you getting pizza? I'm like, yeah, but I haven't eaten yet, I'm hungry, leave me alone. You know, like, I just reacted poorly because I was hungry. And so here he is, again, put yourself in that place. Think of how you feel, like really, if you had a day without food, a day, how you feel at the end of it, you're, you're desiring that food. Everything sounds good for you. Every little ad or commercial that pops up, you're like, mm, uh, you know, drooling at the mouth. 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil comes to him in his hunger, belly rumbling, tired, worn out. And he says, turn the stones to bread. Is eating bread a sin? No, unless you're on the keto diet. <laughs> Stupid joke. Uh, but it's not, right? Eating bread is not a sin. Is Jesus using his power to create bread a sin? We see him do it in the miracles, right? He has the five loaves and the two fishes and, and he breaks it and it keeps multiplying. So what's wrong? Why couldn't Jesus do this? Well, verse one of chapter four tells us why. Because he was led by the Spirit to be there. The whole way God led the Israelites to where they were going. The Spirit, in fact, led Jesus to be hungry, to be really hungry, almost to the point of starvation. That is painful, I would even say. And that's where I want to sit on this. So go back to Deuteronomy 8 with me. So we're going to keep flipping back and forth here. Deuteronomy 8, we're going to read 1 through 3. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land, the land the Lord swore to your fathers. Remember that the Lord your God led you the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would like to keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so you might not learn that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of the Lord. It's not about the bread, right? The bread, or the lack thereof, or the excess thereof is not what mattered. It was that the Spirit had led Jesus there and he depended on the provision of the Father and the leading of the Spirit. And so that was his satisfaction. That was his trust. Even though his body would desire it, he was hungry, it says, and it's there for a reason. He wanted it. He had a desire for it but he trusted that the Lord led him there for a reason. So how could he fill that desire when he knew the Lord had him there? What's the opposite with the Israelites? They were aware that God led them there. I mean, he was there physically in a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. And yet their own bellies, their thirst, their hunger ruled them more than their desire for God's leading. And how often we do the same thing we say, I need this thing, I need this thing. And, and when we walk into a time where it hurts, a time where it seems like God led us into harm, we tend to doubt God and say, well, why couldn't I just stay there, God? Why'd you leave me here? I was comfortable back there. But God's leading you here for a reason. And this is where it starts to get personal. So when Tony asked me to... to speak on spiritual warfare, he said, I want you to share a personal story with it. Nothing came to mind. The Lord didn't bring anything to light. And so I prayed, Lord, 
please show me spiritual warfare this month. Victorious spiritual warfare. <laughs> so I can share. Give me something to, to give you glory. And so some of you know, some of you may not, Chris and I have wanted another child for a while. It's just not happened. And so we were at Disneyland this last week and we thought maybe she was with child. And we were really excited. We're like, we could take pictures at Disneyland and show it. And then we get there and we find out she's not. That's painful. That hurts. And, and honestly, it's the first night we're there and I'm just shut down in the hotel room and I'm, I'm just like, man. And then the flesh and the devil comes and it starts whispering, God must hate you. Maybe you're not serving him right. Because why would he lead you here? This hurts. And then the Lord brings this to mind. Remember when he humbled you. Remember when he brought you to the pain. Because it's not about the bread. It's not about the baby. It's not about the job or the house or the kids or anything. Yeah. That's not the fulfillment. So what if I have a kid if I don't? So what if I have money in my bank account if I'm broke? It doesn't matter. What matters is that I depend on the Lord because his word is what we depend on and this has all the promises in it that my God supplies all your needs, that he is our satisfaction, that there's pleasures at his right hand forevermore. So I don't live on what my desire tells me. I don't live on the necessities that I have. I live on the word of God. Amen. Amen. And then there's the second temptation. Matthew 4, <clears throat> verse 5. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and here he quotes Psalm 91 which is a messianic prophecy. So he's even quoting it to the right person. He will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, that's also written, do not test the Lord your God. So now, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16 is what Jesus is quoting. Really short verse, really simple do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Really simple. But we've read the story. We know what happened. That's the chapter 17 of Exodus. So they've already thirsted for water. God supplied. They hungered for food. God supplied. And here they are. It's like 33 days later, they're thirsty again. And rather than go, hey, God's taking care of us. We'll trust in him. They get angry they are wanting to kill Moses. And then Moses goes and strikes the rock and water comes out. And then after all of that, the people say, is God really among us or not? A quick side note. This is not the point of the message, but you can't help but point it out, is how great the sovereignty of God is. Because it was not right for the people of Israel to complain. They were walking in wickedness and rebellion. But yet through the people's rebellion, God does manna, which then points to Christ because he is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven, as he said in John 6. Then you have the rock struck where water comes out. Christ is the rock who was struck for us and living water comes out so that we may never thirst again. Even in the rebellion and the wickedness, God's plan still works because that's how great our God is. So that's what happens with the people. And, and so why is that called testing? Because let me show you some other verses where this gets really fascinating and confusing. Go with me to Isaiah 7. We're going to skip the first couple of verses they're important, but there's a lot of names and a lot of history, and it's just, it's hard to read. But basically what's saying is that there's a king, and this, this army's coming, he's a, he's, they're terrified. It says they shake like trees in a forest blown by wind. And they're so scared. In verse 7, and they're saying, this is what's going to happen, they're going to come kill us. And, and verse 7 says, this is what the Lord God says, it will not happen, it will not occur. 
So don't be scared. It's not going to happen. And then go with me to verse 10. And then the Lord spake to Ahaz, and that's who he said. That's who's scared. Ahaz is the one who's scared. That's the one who said it's not going to happen. And the Lord spake to Ahaz again. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. And he quotes that scripture. And Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And he goes on, the virgin will conceive. We get the Emmanuel prophecy, but the Lord is frustrated that this man wouldn't ask for a sign. But then he's telling people not to test. You have Gideon who's asked to test. You have First John that tells us to test the spirit. But then you have Jesus who says a wicked and adulterous nation asks for a sign. What's the difference? Where is it right? Where is it wrong? You see, again, we go back to the spirit-led Jesus. That God led the Israelites every step of the way. And we're in verse 17. This is after the manna. This is, or excuse me, in Exodus, we're in chapter 17. This is after the manna. This is after they've already been given water. That very morning, for crying out loud, they ate bread that came from heaven. And then they're saying, is, is God even among us? Like, dude, turn around. There's a pillar of fire right there. Is, is God even with us? That's why it's detestable there. Because it is clear that God led them. He was with them every step of the way. He had provided over and over and over and over and over again. And here we are at the same thing, the same temptation. They're going, I don't even think God's going to provide. And God's going, how dare you? But then you have a king who's afraid and fearful. And God's saying, just ask for me a sign. I'll prove to you that I'm good. I'll prove it to you. And he quotes it like, oh no, I'm not going to test you. And the Lord's like, come on, I told you. So I'm going to give you one anyway. Look how good I am. Gideon, who's fearful and he asks for a sign more than once, but God is there for the fear. He's there for the doubt. You have Thomas who has to stick his hands. He's there for, for the one who's struggling, but the one who should know and is like, well, I don't even care, is even here. God detests it. And it's the same thing. So, so look at kind of how this, the temptation works. Satan comes after Jesus' desire, the hunger. And he says, no, I don't live on, on bread. I, I quote scripture, I live on the word of God. And then the devil in his second attempt now attacks that. Okay, let me attack the word of God. I'm gonna misquote it to you. Well, if you are the son of God, if, if you're really here, if God actually called you here, then let's just see if his word is true. Go ahead and throw yourself off this as the angels will protect you. Does Jesus need to test God? No, he's walking in the fullness of the spirit. He just, before the 40 days, got baptized and saw the spirit descending like a dove and the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He is obviously convinced that the spirit has led them here. And so to try to test God further would just be wickedness. So no, I'm not going to test God. God detested the Israelites' testing because he was clearly there, clearly leading them just as the Israelites and Jesus' time had the prophets and had the Bible but missed Christ. The sin is questioning God's provision and leading when it's clear, when it's evident. We know God is led there to doubt and test. That's where God... God detests it. Isaiah 45, 9 says, Can the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord and lean not into thy own understanding. Hebrews says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. We know that faith is the fruit of the Spirit, so we have to have the Spirit filling, the Spirit leading to give us the faith to trust in his leading. Numbers 23, 19 said, God doesn't lie or repent. Psalm 33 says the word of the Lord is right and true. Psalm 119, 160, your word is truth. And 2 Timothy says all the scripture is breathed out by God. When we have his leading, when we know we're in the spirit, to be tempted to test God's word and say, are you really here? 
I, I know you just did this for me and, and I can look back at every step that's ever happened in my life and you've written it down and you're clearly here, but oh, I'm a little worried this time. Are you actually here? How foolish would it be to doubt him when he's right there with you? And now let's go to the third temptation. Matthew 4, verse 8. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. A neat thing there, verse 11, is the fulfillment of that Psalm 91 passage the devil had quoted previously. When the devil quoted it, it wasn't time. It was a promise of God that the angels would be there for him. But it wasn't then. It was after. The word of God always rings true. Some things are then, some things are now. But what is this? I'll take some up everywhere. Do you see all the kingdoms, all the splendor? The world worships the devil. We know that, right? So you're sort of all like, look, I'll give it all to you. You can have all the worship, all the praise, all the wants, all the desires you want. I'll give it to you. If you simply fall down and worship me, and, and what does Jesus quote? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So let's go back to Deuteronomy. This one's Deuteronomy 10, and the exact verse is 20, but we're gonna read um, one, we're gonna start at verse 12. So Deuteronomy 10, 12, just because this passage, the context of it is awesome. Excuse me. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and worship the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul? Keep the Lord's commands and statutes I am giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest of heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord has his heart set on your fathers, and he loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the peoples as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your hearts don't be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality, taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the resident alien and giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. And this is what Jesus quotes, you are to fear the Lord your God and worship him. Remain faithful to him and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awe-inspiring works your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 people in all, and now the Lord your God has made you numerous like the stars of the sky. Do you see this? This is one big passage saying, look at everything God has done. He is great. He is awe-inspiring. He is mighty. He took you out of Egypt. He, he provided for you miraculously, and everything, everything belongs to him. So when the devil comes and says, I'll give you this. It's, it's yours. He doesn't own it. God may be giving him authority over it right now, but ultimately it's God's. And if God has something for you, then you have it. You don't need the devil to give it to you. And Jesus knows this. And so when he goes up and he looks over all the world and all the kingdoms and the splendor and the desires and everything he could ever want, and the devil says, I'll give it to you. Just like, it's my father's. It's mine if I want it. Psalm 2, I believe it is, says, ask if you would just ask me, I'd give you all the nations of the world. And that's God speaking to his son. Jesus knows it's already his, that it's already his father's. And so when the devil comes and says, I'll give it to you, it's just a lie. It's just a facade. Because the only thing the devil gives is death and sin. And that's 
what do we see in our own lives? When the temptation comes, the desire comes, it's the devil whispering in your ear, I'll give you what you want. That desire you have, it's yours. Just worship me. You see, years ago, Kristen and I took marriage counseling and I took some personal counseling and it helped me because I didn't understand emotions, like at all. I grew up in the house where it's like, you're a man, don't cry. Emotions, shove it down, right? So that caused a lot of problems in marriage because I didn't know how to understand anything. I'd just get angry and we had a fight, blow up, right? So the, the counselor walked me through like, okay, let's walk through what happens Let's figure out how, how you can tell your emotions. And so to use an example, and this wasn't it at all, but just like, let's say I come home from work and I wanted dinner to be made ready for me when I come home from work. And it didn't happen, so I would get angry. Like, okay, why would it cause you to be angry? Well, because I was hungry. Like, no, if you're hungry, then bring carrots and celery with you to work and you'll be okay. Would that make you satisfied? Like, no, I want dinner. Okay, Why? Well, because I think, and, and so you keep going down this path. Why, why, why? To what's the root of the issue? And the root of the issue is, I think that if my wife loved me, she would have dinner ready for me. And so when I come home and it's not ready, she doesn't love me. That's my belief. And so therefore it's my reality. And I think she doesn't love me. And so there's pain and there's anger and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's step down and realize you can go back and go, wait, okay, does she actually love you? Yes. Is she busy with the kids? Yeah. You know, you got to like reframe reality, right? It's the kind of the same thing. We get this immediate desire, this immediate reaction to temptation. Oh, I want that thing. It's covetousness. It's lust. Whatever it is, it's, I think this satisfies me. But you got to go back and understand that it's not just, I need this quick satisfaction. Or I just, I just want to have that boat because it seems fun. Or I just want to look at this thing because it's what my heart desires. No, it's simply you don't trust God. That in your heart, you don't understand who he is. That you don't believe that he's already met all your needs and all your satisfaction. And so Jesus knows this. When the devil's coming, going, look, it's, it's, it's every desire you could ever want. And he goes, my God already has it all for me. So get behind me. I worship him only, the ruler of everything. I serve him only, the ruler of everything. So when that temptation comes, whether it's desire, whether it's doubt, whether it's something wanting to rule your life, we turn to the word of God and we turn to the God of the word and we see that he's already met all our needs. He's already supplied that even if you're in pain and if you know the next step of life is painful and the next step of life is painful after that, that you know that God led you there and that he's your satisfaction. So that's where I want to kind of conclude this and get to the end of it all. Jesus used the word of God to fight temptation, to fight the devil. He used it appropriately. He used it in the right context. He knew the histories. I believe that we as Christians, as spirit-filled individuals, we need to be studious of the word and in the word and read it, but not simply to know it. Because knowledge puffs up. The Pharisees knew the word of God, but they missed Christ completely. So it's not about just knowing, oh, the, the Israelites were 400 years in Egypt. It doesn't matter. What matters is the God of this Bible. What matters is that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, that it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. You see, when we go through Exodus, and I'm telling you, I've been studying Exodus for a little bit now, there is picture after picture of Christ. There's a picture of him in the Passover. There's a picture of him in the manna. There's just a picture of him in that the Israelites failed at every test and Christ won at every single one of them. When you get in the word, don't just look for knowledge, look for Christ. Amen. Like the serpent lifted up, you're to have your eyes on him. Look and be healed. Like Hebrews says, run your race looking to Jesus, our author and finisher. As we run this race, this is the love letter God wrote us. This has so much of his truth and everything that he says to us and he speaks to us in our individuality, it always has to go to this. 
if it goes against this, if it goes against the Bible, it's not God speaking to you because he doesn't lie. He doesn't repent. Everything he said is true. So my encouragement to you, and again, like I said, the foundation of this all is filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. If you in your own power say, I'm going to go grow my sanctification and you're going to go read and try to just get something, that's not going to happen. Your own power fails. But if you go and Holy Spirit, show me Christ and you read to look for him and you read to see his promises and you read to see his mercy and his righteousness and his holiness and who it is that's living inside you, that's the key there. That's how you wield the sword properly is seeing Christ in it all. So 1 Corinthians 10. verses one uh, and so on. So now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual walk that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these took, things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in a single day 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. And then go with me to Romans 8. This is the last page we'll turn to. Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled. In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their mindset on the things of the spirit. The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Get in the word of God, but be spirit-led in it. Be spirit-filled in it. Know that any temptation that comes upon you has already been defeated because Christ came and set us free. So when you get in here, look for Christ because he's the one who sets you free. Look and study of his wonders, of his grace, of his mercy, because it's Christ who sets you free and he's here in every page showing that freedom. And lastly, I'll end on faith. Faith is trust in something. And so, the bigger trust you have in something, the more faith you have in it. The more you see Christ, the more you look of his wonders and his goodness the bigger your picture of him gets, the bigger your faith gets. I'm not, not talking about salvation faith or faith that saves you, but faith to take the next step, faith to go beyond the temptation, faith to walk into the pain because God is leading you there because you know how good he is. So lastly, and I'll just repeat it again, get in the word. Know Christ. Grow your faith in him. But it has to be done through the Spirit. That's what I have to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
It's like we don't know how to clap in this church. We've all been. Uh, do we applaud for you, for him? What are we doing? How do I applaud? Praise the Lord. Give God Amen. your praise. That's how you do it. You give God your praise. We praise you, Lord. Um, what an awesome expository teaching. Um, there was this, when you were uh, hungry, I thought to myself, were you grumbling like in Hebrew? Like shaking your fist at Kristen? I want dinner. I'm just kidding. Um, real quick, um, I just I, a couple things I, I wrote down. Um, one of them was you might wonder how he's cross-referencing Scripture. There might be people here that are going, how does he know when he's reading Matthew to go to Deuteronomy or to go to whatever? Inside your Bible app, if you actually go to, let's say, Matthew chapter, Matthew 4, or Matthew 4, verse 4, I think it is, and it says, um, out of the mouth of God, right, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, at the end of the quote of a scripture from the Old Testament, there's three dots inside your app. You click that, and it'll give you the scripture references. You guys may not know that, but I'm just, some of you already know, but I just want to help, help you. And if you have a paper Bible, it does the same thing. There's references there. You can just follow those. Uh, it makes it a little bit easier. I, I might have just took away all the pizzazz right now. Like, he's so smart. Oh, wait. Three dots. Got it. No. A <laughs> um, couple things. The devil quoted scriptures accurately. He just changed the context or the purpose or meaning of those scriptures. One example um, that I felt like God was stirring was the phrase, the Lord led me here or led them there. The, the enemy can easily come and deceive people as if it's God when it's really them or him. So like if you really want a house, right, and you're a married couple and you've been renting and you really want a house, chances are because you really want a house, you believe God wants you to really want a house and you believe God wants you to have that house. And so you'll go, well, you know, the Lord must want me to have a house. I have the desire. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You can't just throw God's name on everything and say that it's God. And just take it from somebody who did that before and fell flat on my face. You, God will not be mocked. If something is not from him, it will not bring him glory in the way that he desires. It'll actually bring him glory by your humility, by you being wrong. You see? So we can't just say the Lord said or the Lord led me here. And the other thing I wrote down is we can't create our own miracle. We can't save ourselves or protect ourselves. So when you think of the, the miracle of the parting of the sea, you can't just throw yourself into a relationship and say, well, God led me here. He's going to make a way out. It doesn't work that way. No, God has to actually lead you there. And the way you know if something is from God or not is, is it for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's how you know if God really wants something for you. It's not like just a trip down the street for some ice cream. God's not into just giving you a simple pleasure and that's it. No, that's the devil. He wants you to be caught up in the temporary pleasures. God has a plan. He's bringing, he's bringing that plan to fruition and Jesus is coming back. And that's his entire focus. So don't ever get caught up in thinking that God just wants you to be happy. No, God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be involved with what he's actually doing and don't get it distorted because the enemy will come and he will he'll he'll make your whole life saying it's all god and you're running in circles you're 40 years in the desert going where are we going right until god leads you out so may the lord help all of you in that the other thing i wrote down was when they complained if only we died by the hands of the lord in egypt i thought that was an interesting uh moment because people would rather have temporary provision and be killed by god than to suffer being led by God. I thought that was, that's so true, right? I would, I would rather just, hey, just wait, we're just going to roll the dice, basically. I'd rather have just been there, and if God killed me, cool. At least I didn't starve to death. No, you want God to lead you, even if you starve to death. Amen. I know that's a hard word, but it's true. Amen. You want it to be God that leads you, even if you starve to death. You don't want to be full of, have your belly full and the Lord strike you. Amen. He would never do that, right? Yes, he would. There was, there was a um, moment when you talked about the naming of the place, testing and quarreling. 
And don't nobody here wants to name their places. I'm just saying. Like I thought about that. I was like, man, we always want to plant a flag of success. Right? But there was a moment you had where you shared about the baby. You need to plant a flag there. You, you, need, to, you need to put a name there. This is where I learned to surrender to God. This is where I wrestled with God. This is where I questioned God. This is where I suffered. This is where I hurt. This, so we don't like doing that. We don't like looking back at the testing and the quarreling. We want to look back and say, yeah, but you know, look at the mountain. No, you need to remember those times that you actually questioned God. Why? Because he's going to prove you wrong. Because he's going to prove you wrong. He's going to show himself to you. You're his child. So when you look back on when you doubted him and he came through, that's what he does best. It's not just when you believe. It's even when you doubt. Come on, somebody. You know I'm telling the truth. You'll believe with full faith when there's no problems. You got everything you need. Like, yeah, God's going to come through. And then you lose everything. Like, Is he going to come through? I don't know. Right? And you, you're so skittish and so back and forth. Like, you don't know what you're doing. But God knows what he is doing. So, Dell and Kristen, I pray God give you a baby. I pray God do it so he can show himself to you again. And that pain would have purpose. Because it has no purpose just sitting there. But God has seen even in your declaration of saying, if I don't have a baby, but brother, let me tell you something. I know deep down you don't want to say that. I know deep down it pains you to say that. So there's even another layer to what God is reaching into. And I pray that he show himself strong to you. I pray we all get to witness it. Last two things here. Um, how do we know if we are testing God or not? And I just felt that. Like, you know, the scriptures say don't test. But then then others ones it says Test. And the one difference between the two is, is it God telling you to test him? Because if it's not God saying, test me in this, don't test him. He said, you shall not test the Lord your God. That means we don't bring the test to God, but God will bring the test to himself. Amen. So is it God telling you to test him? Because if it is God saying, test me in this, you better test him. Test me in this. You better test him. Amen? But if it's not God, then it is the devil telling you to test him. And in there, we don't do it. Uh, in the wilderness, and this is the last one, Jesus knew the devil and his character. When the devil was talking to Christ and he was tempting him, listen, he wasn't just caught up on the details. He wasn't just, Jesus wasn't just talking about the bread or the angels or all these things. He was, he was talking to the devil. So he never lost sight of who he was talking to, getting caught up in what he was talking about. Some of our issues is we get more caught up in what we're talking about than recognizing who we're talking to. Look at, look at your neighbor. Just look at your neighbor. Come on. You know you love them. Come on. Look at your spouse. If it's your spouse, look at him. Look at him real quick. Just take, take it out. There you go. They're not your enemy. Amen. Stuff comes out of your mouths that aren't from you. But we get so caught up in the details. That's my wife. That's my husband. That's my child. We can't hear the devil. How many times do you guys say something to each other that's not from God? You know you do it. How many times you look at each other and it ain't from God? You squint in the eyes and stuff. You know you do it. What I'm saying is we get so caught in the details, we forget who's talking. Jesus does not forget who's talking. He knows the character of Satan and he knows the heart of humanity. He does not forget that while he's dealing with us. He knows exactly what's going on and who's behind it. He knows the motive of Satan. He knows the desires of Satan. So because he knows his character, he doesn't get tempted. The flesh is tempted, but his character was not. Jesus' flesh was tempted in every way, but his character was holy. And now he's made us holy.
May God help us to recognize we are not each other's enemy. May, may we, what we say be the word of the Lord. May it be encouraging and life-giving and pointing to Christ. May it be those things that we need to hear that are coming from God. And may we recognize when it's just the devil so that way we don't get caught up in conversation. It's like, why are we even talking right now, man? I know who you are. You have no good, no life, nothing to offer me. So finish saying what you're saying because God is with me. I'm not following you. I know who I'm going with here. Or in the words of my sister Pam, I know how this is going to play. She's like, how's this going to play? I know how this is going to play. So may that bless us. Brother, I love you. I'm so grateful for our relationship. I'm so grateful for the fact that God would use you to bless this church body and anybody else listening. Are we not blessed by our brother Dale? May God bless you back doubly. Father, we thank you for the service in this time. We thank you for the, for the knowledge that you've given us, that we've increased in knowledge today, and that because of that, we're increasing in Christ. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would truly rest upon all of us, leading us into all truth. We trust you, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. Love each other and mean it.